Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who Is at the Helm? 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz. <laughs> with the Savage Premium. So go to go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Michael Savage Podcast. Today we talk about the death of faith in America. Why am I talking about the death of faith in America right now? Why? Because it seems to me many people don't believe in anything anymore. Why? COVID, COVID lockdowns, the war in Ukraine. They don't know what to believe in. Does anyone really know why these things are happening? We can blame this one. We can blame that one. We can blame Putin. We can blame Zelensky. You can blame anybody you want. But meanwhile, the world's on the brink of a, a disaster. Even if nuclear weapons are not used, we're going to have a food crisis that is unprecedented in our time come next year everybody predicts this everybody sees this everyone knows ukraine is the breadbasket of europe and the breadbasket right now is being bombed into the stone age silos with wheat are being blown up by putin to create starvation and force ukraine to surrender ukraine is being armed to the teeth by lunatics in the west instead of sending diplomats to work out a peace deal we're appeasing the psychopaths who want more war more war more war and the lunatic by the way Zelensky is a lunatic I don't care what you say about the man he seems to be a lunatic a small country facing a nuclear power threatening the nuclear power over and over again with other people's soldiers and weapons is a madman am I blaming him for what happened absolutely not but this man is not the solution to the world that we are living in right now, the world war that we are facing right now. So many of you are losing faith, saying, where is God? I don't have an answer for you, okay? I'm not pretending to be someone who is a guru. I never pretended to be a guru. I never will be pretending to be a guru. Today, interestingly enough, I received an article that I put up on michaelsavage.com that I don't say answers the question of faith and why we're losing faith. I mean, the podcast today is called um, <clears throat> Death of Faith in America, which has two meanings. The death of faith, comma, here in America, and the death of faith in America. It's two different things. But today's podcast is about the first, which is Death of Faith, comma, here in America. And I'll address the second one, the death of faith in America, another time. Modern churches have become so woke people don't even go to them anymore. They're focusing on good works, whatever that may mean, trans rights instead of belief and salvation, belief in God and salvation. I mean, the 20th century killed God in many ways. Darwin, Freud, Marx, Vatican II, secular humanism, the Unitarian Church, all discussed 
in today's podcast. The 21st century brought us new gods, technology gurus, college indoctrination with new gods. We talk about rich people bad, poor people good. I talk about my own faith journey in this podcast. I talk about my glimpses of God in things seen and done. I never saw God. I never met God. I've only seen snapshots of God. I talk about Christianity seems to be dying while Islam is growing, of all things on earth. I talk about my travels in the South Pacific, the spirituality of indigenous peoples. I talk about the Jewish religion, which is the hardest because it's so complicated to follow. I talk about the Garden of Eden. Can we attain it? God created one woman for one man. What was the land of Nod? How faith connects us to the power of the universe. We're also going to talk about the lack of faith in America today. Why? Why particularly amongst the millennials and Gen Z? Why are they so faithless? Why are they so faithless? Well, millennials and Gen Z have witnessed the collapse and disillusionment of almost every major institution that their parents and grandparents committed their lives to. The church, political parties, corporations, and unions that once uh, supported people have become so corrupted that the young people have no faith in them. I saw an article in the Boston Herald, youth voters not pleased by either party, according to Harvard Paul. No kidding. Of course, they're not impressed with either party. They know they're a group of just selfish politicians, if you even want to call them that, and dignify them with that. I don't know what to say about them. The young people aren't in love with either party, neither am I. So they did a study at uh, Harvard, and blah, 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 and the results uh, say there's clearly growing disenchantment with the people and the politics of Washington, D.C. Big deal. Who isn't? And uh, that's explain that explains the young people. But what explains the lack of faith that's going on? Is it COVID? Is it the lockdowns? Is it the war in Ukraine, the displacement of 10 million people? What is it exactly? Is it the distraction of the Internet? Is it the distraction of entertainment? Is it newspapers put out by Murdoch and other Molochs of our time who continue to warp the human soul with pictures of navels and behinds and breasts and penises, walking us through the swamp of our bodies, forgetting that the body has a spirit. How is this possible that a society could collapse so rapidly? And so we come back to the beginning, the death of faith in America, the death of faith, period. Many people believe we're now living in a post-godly world. But, you know, we still serve something. Some of us serve tabloids. Some serve Marxism. Some serve capitalism. They're still serving a sort of God. In 2003, a modern Marxist group called the Communist League wrote in a pamphlet entitled, What is Communism? And listen to what they wrote. When Marx and Engels began the process of transforming the Utopian League of the Just into the Communist League, the document they used for this work had the awful working title of Draft of a Communist Confession of Faith. Can you believe this? This document would itself go through a thorough revision and be circulated under the title Principles of Communism and then would serve as the basis for the Communist Manifesto they write. What they're saying is that Karl Marx obviously considered his manifesto a communist confession of faith. 
It was actually a declaration of belief and principle. And to Karl Marx, communism was akin to a new religion, a wholesale rebellion against God and natural law. So you have to understand that although Marxists claim they don't believe in God and a religion, they're practicing a religion and they're worshiping a new God, whether you know it or not. And so we get to today's podcast entitled Death of Faith in America. And uh, you will see as you listen to this, or you will hear as you listen to this, why we have arrived here and where we go from here. Thank you for listening to the Michael Savage Podcast. Today we're going to talk about the death of faith in America. It has a double meaning, of course. That's uh, faith, say, and faith in America, per se. The death of faith in America. You could say the death of religion. We still have religion, but do we still have faith? Well, we're going to look at that today. We're going to talk about the differences between faith and religion, glimpses of God and things we see and do, how America is changing. Will uh, religion change as well? I talk about how Christianity seems to be dying while Islam is growing. I discuss the crucifixion and what Christ means if you are not a Christian. I talk about my older days, my travels to the South Pacific Islands collecting medicinal plants and how they had a deeper meaning that I may or may not have known at the time. I discuss spirituality, who I also discussed with the indigenous peoples of the South Pacific Islands. I tell you that all good religions teach do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's not a religion on earth that does not teach that except one. I don't have to tell you which religion that is. I say that the Jewish religion is the hardest to follow because it's complicated. I look at the uh, Ten Commandments from a deeper point of view, a deeper look at the Ten Commandments. I discuss the meaning of the Garden of Eden. I state that much great art and literature is based on the scriptures. I talk about the land of Nod, and I tell you how religion and faith connect you to the power of the universe. All this and more on today's podcast let me begin with this we now have churches in america but aren't they the united churches of the woke friend of mine wrote and said michael churches won't be destroyed or repurposed under the new communism as they were in russia rather communism is the new religion and the churches their indoctrination facilities warped woke bible interpretation is really communist indoctrination the plague spreads. It's a full-on attack on every institution. And we ask, what is next? Evil knows no limits. You know, we know evil knows no limits, but we don't know what those limits are, if they exist at all. What began with Karl Marx and the Unitarian Church is now infecting traditional churches as well. You have to go back to the schizophrenia of Christianity itself. Faith versus good works which is an ambiguity that goes all the way back to the disciples and early councils. Faith is about personal belief and a relationship with Jesus, confession, salvation, while good works is about living your life as the man Jesus supposedly did. While Henri Saint-Simon appears to be a good works type at a time when Christianity was almost entirely faith-based, which is the dominant interpretation over the centuries. And then what happened in the 20th century, the faith interpretation took a beating from science. Darwin bashed creationism. Freud bashed religion as an illusion based on childish impulses. 
And then totalitarian regimes use science as a leverage to gain control. As you know, Marx called faith the opiate of the masses. And right now in America, communists are burning churches, especially in Canada. After that period, faith became unfashionable among Western intelligentsia. There were notable exceptions, such as Albert Einstein. But even the Catholics got in on it with Vatican II. It was intended to update the church. They killed the Latin liturgy, etc. And now the current pope, who I call the bouncer, is lecturing us on immigration and climate change, if you can believe this. A pope lecturing us on immigration and climate change. I talk about the advent of secular humanism, which filled the gap left behind by the death of faith. Remember the famous, Is God Dead? And then along came the thoroughly secular Unitarian Church, the main front organization for secular humanism, atheists with children. Their tenets contain not even a hint of faith. The inherent worth and dignity of every person is what they say. Justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. Acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations. A free and responsible search for truth and meaning. The right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and society at large, they say. The goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. That's the Unitarian Creed. Respect for the independent web of all existence in which we are all a part. And then, of course, the tenet that drives it all is that poor people are good and rich people are bad. This flows directly from the good works interpretation I told you about earlier. Jesus supposedly says to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 19, 21 to 24. And now we arrive at a new place, the worship of technology. These days, everyone carries an iPhone. Everyone is an intelligentsia wannabe. Education, everyone is supposed to be brainwashed in a college. Technology today is where the high priest is the high tech guru. Faith is falling even more and more out of fashion than ever before. And so it began with Karl Marx and the Unitarians is now infecting traditional churches. Now let's go into the issue of the death of faith in America right here on the Savage Nation podcast. Michael Savage, a host like no other. I want to talk about faith. I could say God if you want. But let's just begin with not religion. I don't want to talk about religion because to me, religion is very much religion incorporated. It's become a business. And I don't want to get too political right now. I have found the business of religion turns me off more than on. Of course, you could argue that the business of religion is what keeps the whole structure going. Whatever you want to do is fine. But when I see that Catholic Charities is behind flooding America with illegal aliens, I'm sorry. I can't get too involved with religion. But the fact is, is that there are people on earth who worship God. Not a God, but God. And the majority of people on the earth are Christians. Over 31% of the world's population are Christians. Next are Muslims at 24%. Jewish people make up 0.1% of the number of people on earth who are religious. 0.1%. So Christians are over 2.3 billion. Muslims are over 1.8 billion. And then, of course, you have to remember this. Christians, Muslims, and Jews all worship the same God, monotheistic religions, Christianity, Islam, Jewishness, 
okay, all worship the same God. They're called monotheistic religions. And we're not going to talk about religion for a minute. We're going to get into spirit. But what about the one billion Hindus and the half a billion Buddhists, those almost half a billion who are practicing folk religions around the world? But what about many of you who have no religion but still believe in God, unaffiliated, over a billion of us, a billion people? Over a billion people have no religion, and yet they worship some God. So, again, I worship a God I've never seen. I'm not alone. Christians, Jews, and Muslims worship a God we have never seen. Isn't that interesting? We worship a God we have never seen. Very interesting, isn't it? But what does it have to do with anything else? Do you need God? Do you need religion? Well, I never saw God, nor do I pretend to be a guru. I have no special insights. I've seen snapshots of God. When I watch a bird fly in the sky, I see God. When I see a puppy play with a rag, I see God. When I see the glint in the eye of an infant, I see God. I see God in many places. And the fact of the matter is we all have. We all have glimpses of God. And many of us accept it and live with it. And many of us don't. So, again, I'm not here to sell a religion. I don't care whether you are religious or not religious, but I don't believe that there are any people out there who can get through all of their lives without at some point saying, oh, my God. What do you mean by, oh, my God? What do you mean, my God? It's not your God. Now, I know many people who are not religious who say, you know, it's terrible. We were once a great Christian nation, and the churches are empty, and the mosques are filling up. These type of people always want someone else to go to the church in their neighborhood. People who don't go to church don't really believe in God. They want someone to believe for them. They cry in America, oh, why are the churches empty? And you say to them, well, why don't you go? They aren't religious, but they want the other people to go there. They lament the fact that churches are emptying out and mosques are filling up. You are the other people, right? So, as I've said many years ago, we've gone from St. Christopher medals in our cars to dream catchers in one generation, right? Well, I don't know. I, I never had a dream catcher and I never had a St. Christopher medal or a St. Christopher statue in my car. But suddenly we've woken up in America and things are changing. None of us lasts forever. No nation lasts forever. I wonder if religion will last forever. We know that some religions are diminishing and some religions are increasing. Again, I want to repeat once again in case you missed it. And I don't know whether you believe in something or not. You see Easter's coming up, Passover's coming up, and you say, oh, yeah, well, my mother or my father or my grandparents were really into that. And you believe in what? Yourself? Who do you worship? You worship your abs? What do you worship? Does man have to worship something to get through life? I think most people do have to submit to something. So, Christians, Christianity. Christians in Europe are dying faster than they're being born. Did you know that? Even though Christianity is the number one religion on earth in terms of population, uh, Christians in Europe are dying faster than they're being born. Which religion is growing? Well, of course, Islam. They're dying off in Christianity and they're birthing in Islam. Muslims have the largest birth rate in Europe. 
probably the same in America. So what does that pro what does that mean for you? Well, well, all you got to do is look around the world. You figure it out pretty quickly. Muslims experience the greatest natural increase among all religious groups, including Christians. Births to Muslims greatly outnumbered deaths by over 200 million people. But globally, all major groups had more births than deaths. Now, look, not all babies will remain in the religion of their mother, of course. It's very common for adults to leave their childhood religion and switch to another faith, especially here in the United States, which has almost no roots anymore. The churches are emptying out. So how many lapsed Catholics have become whatever? Oh, I'm a Buddhist, they say. They don't even know what Buddhism means, most of them. Or they think that means putting their hands together and asking for a napkin in a Chinese restaurant. I can't speak for the next person. I can only speak for myself. And again, I don't want to make this a course on religion. I don't want to make this a proselytizing um, podcast about religion. All I can say to you is this. None of us lasts forever. I don't care who you are, how cynical you are, how smart you are, how strong you are. There's an hourglass. You turn an hourglass upside down and you watch the sand trickle through. Now, for many of us, there's more sand on the bottom than there is on the top. And there was a time in our lives when there was more sand on the top than on the bottom. And when there's more sand on the top of the hourglass than on the bottom, you figure you have plenty of time to do everything and to figure things out. Well, all I can say to you is this. When you're down and out, who do you turn to? Many of you turn to alcohol or drugs. That's not going to get you anywhere. It only makes it worse. Now, I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. And the fact of the matter is, I'm not here to sell you on anything. I certainly do not believe that only one religion can lead us to God. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to interview a great defender of Christianity, a religious leader named Jerry Falwell. He was very big when Reagan was president. He's since passed on. And I asked him several questions. And he and I had an argument. And I said to him, Reverend, what does the crucifixion mean? I said to him, to me it means if you crucify others, you crucify yourself. Does that analysis hold any water with you? I said to Reverend Jerry Falwell. Reverend Falwell answered me and said, that certainly can be an interpretation, but the ultimate meaning of the cross is that God so loved the world and everyone in it, black, white, red, yellow, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Christ, to die on that cross to pay our sin debt in full forever. And only perfect God, perfect man in one person could do that. That's what Jerry Falwell said. Now, here's the part I didn't understand and still don't understand. How could Jesus die for all man's sins for all time when such evil still exists? Does that exonerate them? Does that exonerate a child rapist? Right? Does that exonerate personal res responsibility? Does that take away our needs as an individual to be responsible for our own behavior? I think that um, in each of us, we have to seek out God and do his work one way or the other. And it doesn't mean you have to do it through a religion. You can. But you can also do it without going to a formal house of worship. I think every one of us must atone for our own sins. It makes no sense to me. And I'm not trying to be uh, anti-religious here. It makes no sense to me that Jesus would have done anything to atone for the sins of a murderer who killed 
a child yesterday. So Reverend Falwell, when I said that to him, replied, because first of all, he is the son of God and God the son, perfect man, perfect God. Theologians refer to him as the God man. And because he is the God man, he was able to take it upon himself. Only God could do that, he said, in that efficacious way. The sins of everyone from Adam to the last person that shall ever be born upon this earth, past, present, future. When he said it is finished on the cross, it meant just that. I paid the debt in full. I've satisfied my heavenly father. My blood is shed. I've risen now from the dead, alive forevermore. And all who trust me shall have everlasting life. The death of Christ is sufficient to save all men everywhere. It is sufficient to save only those who believe and receive him. Unquote. That was Jer Jerry Falwell on my radio show many years ago. But for me, that begged another big question, which is this. Can a non-Christian be saved? This was a big question. Can a non-Christian be saved? I asked myself and I asked him. I said, what if someone is not a murderer, is not a rapist, in fact, lives an exemplary life, but is not a Christian? What if Mother Teresa had lived a life identical to the one she lived but had been a Buddhist? Would she be saved? What about a Jewish man who reads the Bible every day, attends the synagogue, loves his fellow man, and avoids sin as well as the best of Christians? Can that Jewish man be saved? Jerry Falwell answered according to his faith and his convictions. He quoted the Bible saying this. He said to me, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. But the wrath of God abides upon him. One must receive Christ. He said, that's not anti-Semitic. It's not anti-Gentile. There are many Baptists who have not received Christ. They may be church members and have been baptized, but have never personally received the atonement. He went on, Christ's death, burial, resurrection for our sins as Lord and Savior, he said. Hmm. Now, I was not completely satisfied with that answer. But people of goodwill can disagree on these matters. That was the real reason for the First Amendment here in America. It wasn't to ban God from the public square. That's a liberal perversion of the First Amendment. Let me repeat that. The First Amendment was written not to ban God from the public square. That's a liberal perversion of the First Amendment. The First Amendment sought to protect every individual's right to believe and worship as he or she saw fit. The Founding Fathers believed that because no one can know the answers to these ultimate questions, every individual has an inalienable right to decide for himself what the answers are. That's our freedom here in America. We can't be forced to go against our beliefs by a national religion. That's what the First Amendment and the inalienable right of conscience it protects really means. Good people of any faith should be respected, in my opinion. We cannot dismiss the billions of people on earth who are not Christian. What about the Native Americans who do not even believe in an all-powerful God? Should we say all of them are pagans? not worthy of salvation if they do not convert to Christianity? Absolutely not. For me, I see God as the center of a spiritual wheel, with all the spokes being the many religions and beliefs that lead us to God. And I will quote Jeremiah from the Old Testament, 422, where he said, For my people is foolish, they know me not. They are sottish children, and they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil. But to do good, they have no knowledge. That's from the Jewish religion, the Old Testament. Many of you listening to this podcast came from a religious background to a certain extent. Uh, there's not a person listening to this podcast right now who did not come from a religious background going back two generations. 
or three at the most. And so there's a, a, a remnant shadow of this religion in all of us. That's why you're listening to this at all. The reason you're listening to Michael Savage right now on God, Faith, and Reason is because there's a shadow of a religion still left in even the most atheistic amongst you. And so I want to continue again to the millions of people around the world who will eventually be listening to this podcast. And I will give you an intimate look at my lifelong quest in search of spiritual truth. And I will share the many glimpses of God I've experienced over my extraordinary life and career, as some would say, including some of my boyhood insights or stories, my inspirational moments, and my reflections right here on the Savage Nation podcast. Please stay with me. Michael Savage, a host like no other. I want to pick up where I left off in our discussion of God, faith, and reason. And again, this is not a religious show per se. It's a spiritual discussion. I know many of you out there are very spiritual but not religious. But what does it actually mean? What does it actually mean to you? The world is falling apart on us. Many of us know that particularly those of us who see what the left is doing to this nation. And again, I have to get political for one reason. The left hates God. The left hates religion. The left hates family. And the left is trying to destroy this nation, which at its core is a Christian nation. Never forget this is fundamentally a Christian nation founded by Christians. You could say they stole it from the Native Americans. You wouldn't be wrong. The Native Americans were not Christians. They worshipped the Great Spirit. And I have seen the great spirit. I've been in enough remote places on earth to tell you I've been with people who have communicated with the great spirit. And I do not deny in my own life that there is a great spirit, a greater spirit than all other spirits. And we are part of that spirit. A giant fragmented spirit of which the great spirit is the greatest of all. And we are all part of that spirit. What does that actually mean? Is that gobbledygook? New Age talk, you can take it for what it, what it means to you. All the years I have spent searching for healing plants in the South Sea Islands, medicinal plants, I spent many years going in and out of Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, and the Marquesas, islands you never heard of. And I, I sat in villages through entire nights as I was collecting plants and talking with the people about healing plants and my plant collections are in seven herbaria around the world, meaning seven museums around the world. I don't want to name them. It's not important that I name them. Just know that I have done this. What was I doing it for? Well, I was uh, looking for healing plants, collecting them, codifying them, saving them for future generations to study. But there was something deeper driving me to do this. I never understood it. All I know is that the nights I slept on uh, straw mats in villages, for example, in Fiji, with Fijian men, all black men, by the way, never knew about racism. They didn't seem to care that I was white and they were black. In fact, at night when we would sit up drinking kava kava, yangona, after a while, one would say to the other, you think he's Fijian? And others would laugh and say he's definitely Fijian because all we saw were our eyes in the dim light of the fire that was in that, that, that bure. So what does that mean? 
what am I looking for? What was I looking for my whole life? I've always been looking for God, to be honest with you. Now, my own religion, Judaism, I respect it, but it's a very difficult religion. Judaism is perhaps the hardest religion on earth to follow. It's filled with so many complicated rituals and complicated ideas that sometimes you can lose God in all of the rituals. I remember once I was on a, um, a student ship to Europe. Oh, I don't know when, in the late 60s. It was the uh, motor vessel Waterman. <laughs> it had been a troop transport in World War II, and it was cheap, cheap way to get to Europe. And it was packed with young people, myself amongst them, going to Europe for vacation to have fun. And we just partied all day, drinking, smoking dope, whatever we had to do. I don't remember. Actually, there was no marijuana on that boat. They would have thrown you over, overboard. But we partied at night. And I remember coming in. I was in a cabin of six people, six bunk beds. And um, we were all young people young in our 20s there was one older man I don't know how old he was but he was an old blind Dutchman and I would ask him questions and when I got bored of everyone partying I would go down and talk to him about many things and I'd ask him you know what is the meaning of life I was always that kind of kid I always wanted to know the deeper meaning of life so you know he said many things to me this old man but one of the things he said was you can reduce all religions to one statement which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you he said I think all religions come down to that. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But to the Jewish people, there's a thing called the Ten Commandments. It's written in Exodus, the book of Exodus, the books of Moses. Exodus is one of them. Exodus, the first chapter, right? Oh, what does that say? Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Exodus twenty twelve to 14. Are those good rules to live by? Think about that. The Ten Commandments used to be in public schools in New York City when I was a kid. Right. Not religion, but at least the kids knew what the rules were. Take a look at the animals now in the schools today. Nothing is taught to them about morality. Nothing. And look what's happened. Take a look. It's like a zoo. Like a zoo. Chimpanzees behave better than most of the children in schools in big cities today. Because they have no guidance, they have no goalposts, they have no commandments, they have no belief in this world or the next. So they commit every crime under the sun. They spit on their father and the mother if they have one. They'll murder you at the drop of a hat. They'll fornicate like a mink. They'll steal if they want to. They'll lie if they want to. They will covet everything in their sight. They'll take anything they can grab. Why? Because there's no religion left in our schools because of the atheists who have taken over our schools. So what good are the Ten Commandments? Very good. Really very good. And I believe that even in our secular schools, the Ten Commandments should be put back onto the walls of our schools. That's what I believe. And it'll never happen. Not with the ACLU and the left-wing vermin running this, the schools that we have. But let's look at the Ten Commandments for a minute and see if they have any meaning to you. Number one, honor thy father and thy mother. 
that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God have given thee. What does that really mean? What about those of us who have had trouble with one or both of our parents? Does it mean we must worship them? No, it doesn't. See, this is the problem. Some of these statements are translated from the ancient Hebrew, but we don't even understand them. I once asked a thoughtful religious woman what this meant. She herself had had continuous problems with her own mother. And she told me a long time ago, no, it does not mean blind worship of your parents. It means you should honor that you come from your father and your mother. And that gives us a concept of belongingness, of an origin, of a root, of who we are as beings, who we come from, that we were not born unto ourselves. It does not mean we must worship our father and our mother, especially if we have a very difficult relationship with them. And what about the other commandments in the Old Testament of the Jewish people? Do they not speak for themselves? Thou shalt not murder? What does that mean? You have to read a book on that one? The Hebrew word is very interesting. It says murder, not kill. You are permitted to kill in war, in self-defense. Murder is quite different from kill. Think about it. We do not have to define the other commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery, not steal, not bear false witness, not covet thy neighbor's house, not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. They're all self-explanatory. The two most interesting words in the passage are those regarding murder as opposed to killing and the concept of what honor thy father and thy mother means. And I hope I have helped you understand that today. Honor thy father and thy mother, but you don't have to worship them. Then this is saying from Isaiah, the child shall behave insolently against the aged and the base against the honorable. For a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father. Thou hast a mantle, be thou our ruler, and let this ruin be under thy hand. What does that mean? I'll let you figure it out. What about an eye for an eye? Exodus contains all sorts of rules about an eye for an eye, which again are self-explanatory. We don't live in an eye for an eye world, and many of us feel that the justice system is flawed because punishments do not seem to fit the crimes, and so many guilty get away with it, especially our corrupt politicians. It seems to most of us that the true criminals are not punished sufficiently or at all. We see the crooks at the top of the pyramid. Let me give you an example. Exodus 21:26 says, If a man smite the eye of his bondman or the eye of his bondwoman and destroy it, He shall let him go free for his eye's sake. And if he smite out his bondman's tooth or his bondwoman's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. What does that mean? It means an eye for an eye, more or less. It says to give them freedom to compensate for injury. Is that an eye for an eye? Earlier in 2122 of Exodus, it says if men are working together and hurt a pregnant woman, they must pay a fine. But if they accidentally kill the baby, it says, if any harm follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, strike for strike. That's pretty heavy. Do we want to live in such a world? No, we do not. Do we want to live in Saudi Arabia where they cut the hands off thieves? Some of us would say yes. It would straighten America out. I would say no. On the other hand, when we live in a world that is ruled by liberal judges, where the courts are run by liberal lawyers, where there does not seem to be much punishment for some crimes. We're now all asking ourselves how we can make the pendulum swing to a more equitable justice system. 
where the guilty truly are punished. That's my interpretation of Exodus and where we are today. You get that? An eye for an eye? Not necessarily. In a while, I'm going to talk about the Garden of Eden. That's an important one because many of us want to live in a Garden of Eden. But can we find it here in this fallen world of ours? I'm Michael Savage. Back in a minute on God, Faith, and Reason. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. So this is the Savage Nation podcast. We're talking about spirit, God, faith, reason. And I promised you we would talk about the next phase, which is the Garden of Eden, which is a place we all want to live in. But before I go there, I want to promise you this. I'm going to talk about mysticism at some point in this podcast, whether it's today or the next one, because many of you think that you're mystics or mysticism. You like hearing about the Kabbalah and all of that, and you think you know what it means. Maybe you don't know anything about it. Maybe you do. But I will say this. All of us want ecstasy in addition to the Garden of Eden. What does the word ecstatic mean? It means to leave the body. And it's often used to describe the mystic experience, leaving the body. That's why many of you use drugs. We leave our body when we have sex. Our ego splinters when we have an orgasm. It disappears. We leave our body. Uh, Does it result in a vision of deeper truth? It leads to a degree of disconnection of the reality that we live in. But uh, often we return to this world. Some people never return to this world. They leave this world and never return to it. And uh, we can make many jokes about what LSD has done to too many minds. So again, we will talk about this idea of mysticism and ecstatic later on. And it's a very powerful desire to escape the world that we live in, to escape it. It becomes terribly overwhelming for all of us. Sometimes we we get this powerful urge. We can't take it anymore. But what does the Bible say about the Garden of Eden? That's what I said I was going to talk about. Again, in Genesis, there is a discussion of the Garden of Eden. And the Bible says God... uh, And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Oh, how sexist. How sexist. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And then it talks about how he created all the other animals and what Adam would call them. He gave names to the cattle and the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. Then he looked around and said, but for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him meaning a mate. And so he caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, quote, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man, unquote. Now, you could say this is just poetry. I think there was once a play called Adam's Rib. You understand what I just said to you? Listen to the rest of this. Listen to it only as poetry, not as fact. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed, unquote. I could spend the entire day today talking about this one passage from Genesis. 
but I don't think you need an entire podcast to understand it. All you have to know is that since the beginning of recorded history, all religions have recognized that it's man and woman, and there's no need for a third sex bathroom. Man and woman. Not man and man, not woman and woman. Man and woman. You want to impose your views upon the rest of society because you're a leftist who thinks everyone should conform to your confusion? It's not going to happen. Most people will accept you, but they don't want you to twist their children's minds. Every culture, every religion, every people on the planet, every dog, cat, bird, mouse, even every pigeon, everything on earth understands that except for the people in San Francisco and Austin, Texas. Just turn back to the Rock of Ages. Now, it's not that I believe every word or that I'm a biblical absolutist myself, but the, but the Rock of Ages has been around for thousands of years. Of course, everyone is not as smart as the current crop of know-it-all equalizers. I understand that. We, the poor people who believed in God in the Bible all these years, we just didn't have the brains of you leftists and the other atheists around you. But we did the best we could. See, but we know what Sodom and Gomorrah are. The story has metaphorical power. And then the Lord caused rain upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But Lot's wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt, it says in the Bible. From that biblical phrase alone came the statement, don't look back. Remember the Bob Dylan song in the movie, Don't Look Back? I'm impressed with how much great literature is based upon biblical stories or biblical truths. If you want to put it that way, fine. I know it sounds suspicious. But I got weirdly teary reading about Cain and the part about East of Eden. I can't put my finger on it. I wish I could. It moved me because of the power of the words of the Bible. And when you think about the three great religions on earth, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, they are three religions that are fundamentally tied by one common thread, monotheism, the belief in a single God. Forget about the Wahhabis who have infected Islam. Forget about the fact that Saudi Arabia has poisoned Islam, at least for the moment. If you look at the purity of Islam and you denude Islam of the hatred, of the killing and the murdering of infidels, there is so much beauty in all of these three religions, and they all come from the same source, which is the belief in the beauty of God. But let's go back to, to East of Eden for a minute. If you ask even the most uneducated person you know about the Garden of Eden, they know what you're talking about. Everyone knows what the Garden of Eden is. The minute you say it, they get an image. It may mean different things to different people. But there is another place, East of Eden, referenced in the Bible, which is the land of Nod. That's funny because junkies say they nodded out. People say you want to nod off. Where does the word nod come from? How does that refer to someone nodding off or nodding out? Well, the book of Genesis in the Hebrew Bible says that there's a place east of Eden where Cain was exiled by God and he had murdered his brother Abel. He was sent from the Garden of Eden to a place called Nod. Genesis 4.16 says, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. What does that mean? The land of Nod. Nod is the Hebrew root of the verb to wander. Did you know that? So if you live in the land of Nod, 
That means you are a wandering person. You are a cast-off. The wandering Jew lives in Nod. Of course, the colloquial meaning of the word Nod in English is to fall asleep, to nod off. If you say that person's going to the land of Nod, that means he or she is going to sleep. Genesis 4.17 says that, quote, after arriving in the land of Nod, Cain's wife bore him a son, Enoch, in whose name he built the first city. This is fascinating. There are places named after the land of Nod. There are popular cultural references, such as John Steinbeck's famous novel, East of Eden. And two of its central themes are the betrayal of a brother and a land of sleep. Hmm. Genesis 4.16, it is written, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Genesis 4.16. But let me go on. Again, talking about east of Eden. Genesis 2.5 and 2.8. I have some brief comments on Genesis 2.5 and 2.8. Genesis 2.5 says, No shrub of the field was yet on the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up. Genesis 2.8 says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. You know, when I first read that, I shuddered when I thought of the great literature that has been derived from biblical statements. Of course, as I said before, the famous novel East of Eden came directly from the Bible. There are so many other great literary references to the Bible by Shakespeare and other great writers over the ages, all derived from the greatest poet of all, which is why the left wants to denude us of Shakespeare himself. Genesis 2.18. Let's look at that for a minute. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. It is clear to anyone who reads it that man and woman belong together. I felt it necessary to repeat that point, given this age of ambivalence. But it seems to me that the universal truth for all mankind is man plus woman as one flesh. Man plus woman as one flesh. Or woman plus man as one flesh. Period. End of story. It's man and woman or woman and man. This is Michael Savage. And when I come back, we'll talk more about God, faith, and reason and how it leads to freedom. Let me pause right now, and we'll be back in a moment right here on the Savage Nation podcast. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. This is Michael Savage picking up on our discussion of faith and freedom. Many of you think that faith is a prison. God is a prison, and you want to be free. The opposite is true. I know it sounds counterintuitive. You go to a rave and take ecstasy, you think you're free. Get back to me the next day. So, no, it doesn't lead to freedom. It, 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 your freedom is slavery. Now, am I a religious person? No, I'm as entrapped as you are in searching for, for freedom. But why did God create the world? What is man's role in creation? Does God really intervene in our lives and how much? And what about science? What is the relationship between God and science? Wow, that's pretty good. I'll talk about all of that in a while. But I want to talk about faith and freedom itself. And um, I'll begin with, again, a biblical quote, Jeremiah 2.20. The Old Testament is, if you only want to look upon it as poetry, go ahead. But remember, the Old Testament of the Jewish Bible, the five books of Moses, is the foundation of Christianity and of Islam. Never forget that. So Jeremiah 2.20 writes, It is written, For of old time I have broken thy yoke, and burst thy bands, and thou sayest, I will not transgress? 
Upon every high hill and under every leafy tree, thou didst recline playing the harlot. So think about that one. So Jeremiah was really pissed off because he was saying even in ancient times, the Israelites wanted to break the yoke of God's word. And they said, oh, I won't transgress. I'll be a good, a good Jew. I'll follow God's will. And then he says, yeah, but on every hill and under every tree, you played the harlot, the whore. That's what Jeremiah said. Have things changed? Years ago on the radio show, a caller compared me to an Old Testament prophet warning people about the dangers of liberalism. And once it was uh, after I'd done a show segment on the wonderful movie Hacksaw Ridge, the hero Desmond Doss drew courage from the Bible and eventually earned the Congressional Medal of Honor without firing a shot. But the caller's point was that everything I had done up to that point in my life, my books, I had been writing like an Old Testament prophet. And eventually, with my book, Trump's War, I played the role of John the Baptist, who said, he must become greater while I decrease. That's what the caller said. And he was referring to the many times I had Donald Trump on my show, introducing the man who would bring my message of borders, language, and culture to an even wider audience that I already had. It was a very interesting insight. But again, I don't want to get too political because many of you say, oh, I don't want to hear anything about Donald Trump. But I said at the beginning, God does not do the heavy lifting for us. It is up to us to find our connection to God and to do his will here. I truly believe that my lifelong fight for our borders, language, and culture is part of my mission here on earth. And as I said many times, it's indisputable that I helped change the course of human history in America. Unfortunately, right now, everything that we believe in is being undone by the evil leftist Biden administration. It's equally indisputable that as imperfect as the Trump administration was, he represented the only chance we had to restore a free, just, and godly nation given the crossroads we were at. But again, I'm going to go away from politics for a minute. What is my role now that Trump has been defeated? What is my role now that we are again wandering in the desert as the Biden gang is destroying everything good about America? What does it mean? Well, the election means everything. This very slim majority, some would say stolen, some would say won, doesn't matter. Was it really a mandate to melt down our borders, to turn this into an atheistic nation? No, I don't think so. Not at all. But I will tell you this. I think that many of us feel like we're back in bondage in Egypt under Biden. It's not a bad analogy. But remember, even the ancient Israelites didn't go directly from Egypt to the promised land. Not only did they have to wander for 40 years in the desert before reaching Canaan, they had to conquer the promised land before taking possession of it. <clears throat> conquer the promised land. Now, that 40 years of wandering for the Jews wasn't just bad luck. In Exodus, God makes the Israelites wander in the desert because of their infidelity to him and their decision to do evil in his sight. What a great metaphor for where we are today. Yes, we lost an election. And yes, we thought we had saved the nation from irreparable ruin after Obama. But unfortunately, Donald Trump took many wrong turns, as when he allowed the neocons to manipulate him into bombing Syria based on hearsay evidence of Assad gassing his own people. Right? So where are we today? Where are the great victories of yesterday? Where are they? I don't know where they are. I don't know where we're going to be tomorrow. But I know this, that without patriotism, there's no nation. Without borders, there's no nation. 
Without a common language, there's no nation. Without a common culture, there is no nation. I'm always asking myself, what's ahead? Where should I go? I don't have an answer to that right now. I do not have an answer to that right now. Sometimes I wake up and feel I've done my job. Some mornings I wake up and feel like a salmon that has swum upstream and it's over. That I've done the biggest thing I could possibly have done in my life and there's nothing left for me to do. But then I remember Moses who spent the rest of his life trying to get his people to the promised land after he had freed them from bondage in Egypt. And I know there was still a lot of work to be done to save our nation. Let us never forget that elections have consequences. Very, very deep consequences. What happened after the last election? We were stabbed in the back by Mitch McConnell. That's right, stabbed in the back by Mitch McConnell. He's done it over and over again. Again, I don't want to get too political. I didn't expect to be invited into the Garden of Eden after Donald Trump won. I didn't expect that at all. I've been wandering in the desert all my life. I don't want all of you to understand how important it is that we keep believing in the future of America and that our battle has just begun. Our battle has just begun because you may not realize it, but it was God's will that Donald Trump lost and that this horrible anti-American administration won and melted down our borders, spit on our language, and has st stamped on our flag. Maybe that's God's will. Maybe God is punishing us. Ezekiel eleven seventeen writes, I will even gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel. What does that mean? God has given us everything we need to do the right thing. He gave us the ability to reason. He gave us dominion over an entire planet. He gave us an innate sense of right and wrong. But he's not going to wave his hand and make everything right after we here on earth have screwed it up. <clears throat> We're going to have to do it ourselves. Just as I am going to continue to do what I have done for three decades or almost four now, which is why I'm still doing podcasts. You understand what I'm saying to you? I'm still doing what I have to do. And I'm going to speak up when I feel it's necessary. I'm a true supporter of the right thing and the right way. And eventually I'm going to tell you the right will be done again. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. In bringing this to a conclusion today, I'm going to talk about the power of Passover and the power of Easter. I talked about Exodus earlier on the Savage Nation podcast, but I would like to tell you about the power of Passover and the power of Easter, why these powerful holidays are still practiced by the two great religions of Judaism and Christianity, right? Don't let religion get in the way of your faith. That's an interesting statement unto itself. Do not let religion get in the way of your faith. But religion can give you some connection to the ultimate power that drives the universe. And I'm going to talk more about how religion and faith connects you to the power that drives the entire universe. I have studied a variety of religions during my life at sometimes more actively than in others. I've looked at mysticism since I'm young, and I've looked for the truth in so many places and in so many ways that my head spins just thinking about it. It has all been an attempt to find meaning in life. What am I doing here? What's the purpose of life? Why do good people suffer? Why do bad people sometimes not suffer? These are eternal questions. 
If you find the answers to them in religion, you're very lucky. Most people don't. Most people, in my experience, sit in a church or a synagogue, go along with the program, and don't even know what they're doing. They're like a passenger on an airplane waiting for the flight to be over. They hear nothing. They're numb. They go in numb. They come out numb. Is that you? They take away nothing from it. Occasionally, a person is touched or reached by one of the holy books sitting there or by a teacher. Occasionally, someone is touched, and that's good enough. You can't expect an entire flock to be touched. But there is a higher thing in religion, whether it be Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, or even Hinduism. Maybe you're Hindus listening to this podcast. All of it is an attempt to tap into some higher power. Even paganism, although not one of the five major religions, is people trying to tap into a power that runs through them. They want the power. They want the energy. That's what you want in religion. That's what you go to church for. That's what you go to synagogue for. That's what you go to a mosque for. You want the power of the universe. They want the energy of God. You want to feel the power. Do you ever see a fighter before a fight crossing himself? I have. They want the power. They want to tap into it. But people don't want to go to a house of worship and come away feeling weaker than when they went in. Every year, people flock to Lourdes Cathedral in France by the hundreds of thousands. They believe that if they touch the holy water in the grotto of, at the sanctuary of Our Lady of Lourdes, they will be healed. They believe, believe it can make the crippled walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. Sometimes people jump up and say, I'm healed, I'm healed. What are they going to Lourdes for? They're going there for a miracle. What is a miracle? It's the energy, the power that drives the entire universe. It's the energy that makes a blade of grass start from a seed, a dormant dead thing, and turn it into a beautiful green thing. The seed is you. Many of us are walking around like a husk, a dead seed. But inside the apparently dead seed, there is a living green piece of grass, just as inside an acorn there's a great tree. And many of us remain a seed, live our whole life as a seed, waiting for someone, whether it be a woman for a man or a man for a woman to enable the seed to sprout. We wait for someone or something to awaken the seed into life and make us come alive, make a piece of green grass or a tree grow from it. Mm, people often try to find that through religion. Some do. Some go to church every day. Some go three times a day. A Sunni Muslim prays five times a day. He believes he's reaching God five times a day. He feels the energy. Many of us cannot feel it at all when we're alone. But when we go into a temple, a mosque, a church, we feel it suddenly. Have you ever been in St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City on Christmas Eve? I have. If you have, or if you have been in an Orthodox Jewish temple in Brooklyn, New York, when there are 5,000 men in black chanting at the same time, or even in a village in Fiji, sitting where there are 20 men chanting to the power of the universe, you have felt an energy that you will never feel alone. So there is an argument for the congregation. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access 
to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.